Our scripture for today is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. You can find that on page 1193 of your Pew Bible. It's page 1193, Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Six days later, Peter took James and John, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed or transfigured in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. And Peter reacted to all of this, saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. My regular running partner is a woman who did not grow up in church and who does not go to church. So she is not familiar with most of our biblical stories. But she often asks about what I'm preaching each week, and so I tell her whatever the story is. So this week I tell her this story. Jesus goes up on a mountain and he starts to glow. And she says, what? <laughs> that really happened? That is so weird. And it is. It's a weird story. The kid's gut reaction was absolutely right. It's one of the weirdest stories there is about Jesus. He lights up in neon. He glows like a vampire from twilight. He shimmers in the sun. This story comes up every single year, the week before Lent. And a lot of times I dread it because it is just so weird. And it seems to set Jesus apart from us. I mean, who among us has ever shone like the sun? We walk around in bodies that get dirty and smelly and saggy with age. Who among us is dazzling and glittering? Could there be any more distance between us and Jesus than what we find in this story? How do we relate to this if we're not feeling marvelous and dazzling this week? It's been a beautiful three or four days of sunshine, but what if winter is still lingering heavy in our hearts? What if things are just falling apart right now? 
But what if things are relentlessly, endlessly normal right now? How do we relate to this marvelous, dazzling story? Is there any point of connection? I think there's at least one. Jesus was not in the midst of a marvelous, dazzling point in his life. In fact, he was in and entering one of the darkest periods of his life. Right before this, he predicts his own death. And after this, everything is a trajectory down toward the cross. So he is in a period of existential grappling with his mortality and his purpose. And like all of us, he is going to die, but he knows it's soon. It's coming for him. He is in one of the darkest periods of his life when this dazzling thing happens. His companions are also not dazzling. Peter and James and John are struck speechless. Well, not Peter. Peter is that friend who can't help blurting all the time. Let's build shrines, houses. Let's just stay here, Jesus. Until God interrupts and gets on with the business of the day. They are struck speechless. They are amazed. They do not know what to make of this. But they're not the only ones up there who aren't dazzling. There's Moses and Elijah, too. Who at first glance seem like heroes, right? They are heroes out of the Old Testament. And Moses represents the law. And Elijah represents the prophets. And so these are the voices of tradition blessing Jesus on his journey. That is the traditional interpretation. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But a friend pointed out to me this week that these heroes aren't quite as simple as they seem at first. Moses had a disability. He had a speech impediment so bad that he needed someone to interpret for him. That is a significant speech impediment. And Elijah had this volatile emotional landscape. At times, he was filled with zeal and energy, and then at times he was in deep depression with suicidal ideation. Moses and Elijah actually aren't that amazing. Or... They're amazing and normal at the same time. They're like us. When we struggle with disabilities or handicaps or mental illness or just parts of our lives that feel embarrassing <coughs> or hard to reconcile, this moment of glory is incredibly human. Jesus isn't in a dazzling time in his life. His companions are not dazzling. And yet this moment breaks in. And all of a sudden they see something is even more real than real life. This glory that lies behind everything. They see through the veil. We have moments like this. And I think they actually come not when everything's going hunky-dory, 
but when things are harder. I've told you a story before about a little girl named Samantha. It's not her name, but we'll call her that. It's a story worth telling again. Samantha was eight years old. I met her when I was a chaplain intern at a big hospital in New York City. I worked on the pediatric oncology floor, which meant that I worked each day with children and their parents and children with cancer and their parents and the nurses and doctors who ministered to them each day. Samantha was eight. She was adorable. And she had osteosarcoma, which is a cancer of the bones. Her uh, prognosis was not great. By the time I met her, she had lost all of her hair, and she mostly didn't feel very good most of the time. She and I had had several hard interactions where she told me about really scary dreams that she had been having. She was scared about what was going on in her life. But then one time I walked into her room and she had dumped this box of markers out all over her bed. And she was taking each marker in turn and drawing hair on her head in every single color from that 32 box of markers. She was drawing long, luxurious, flowing hair in every shade of the rainbow, brighter than anyone could ever dye it. And she was laughing hysterically as she did it. And her mom was sitting in the window, on the windowsill, laughing hysterically. And each one would laugh harder and make the other one laugh harder, and their laughter was echoing down the hallway. And would you believe me if I told you that the way the sun shone in, they glowed? Samantha was transfigured. We all have these moments, these mountaintop moments. I'm convinced of that. And what they do is reveal what is really real behind the circumstances of our everyday lives. They reveal what is really real. The verb in our story is best translated as transfigured, not transformed. It's a small difference, but it makes a difference. Because transformed is to be changed from one thing into another different thing. But to be transfigured is to reveal what is already there. Samantha shining in the sun was how beautiful she really is. It makes me think of a drag queen who walks around every day in ordinary clothes and then is revealed to be this utter, shining, sparkling, flamboyant creature of light and delight. It makes me think of a geode, this ordinary-looking rock that you crack open and the crystals inside shimmer. That's what it is to be transfigured. It reveals what is already there. 
It's not an aberration. It's the truth. Many of you know that about two years ago, I was hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital. It was a difficult and dark time in my life. I would not have made it through without the support of folks like you all here in this congregation and dear, dear friends. I was all the way in Bellevue behind two sets of locked doors. It was terrible and lonely and hard. But two of those dear friends drove all the way up to Bellevue on a Sunday afternoon after a whole morning of church. And they drove up to Bellevue and they came through those two locked doors and they came to find me. And they walked in that room and we stared at each other. And then we burst out laughing. We didn't know what to say. It was awkward. It was weird. And I think it was nervous laughter at first. And then it became something else. And a nurse, we laughed so hard that a nurse came down the hall to see if we were having a party in this place. And I remembered for a few moments that the world is a dazzling, shining place. I have a friend who went to kindergarten with a little kid who loved glitter. And whenever glitter was set out for the crafts, he would take the whole bowl and dump it on his paper. And the teacher would come by and say, you know, sometimes less is more. And he would say, but not with glitter. <laughs> that kid knew. This world is a dazzling, sparkling place. And we go through deep valleys. And none of us get to skip that. Even God did not get to skip the cross. We walk through dark clouds. And yet behind those clouds, the sun still shines. Behind those clouds, Mount Rainier still stands. Behind this veil, the world is a shimmering, dazzling, <coughs> glittering place. So this morning, I have glitter for us. The trouble with glitter is that it gets all over everything, and you cannot get it out. So I'm going to invite you in a few minutes to come up and interact with that glitter in some way that feels comfortable to you. You might just look at it. That's fine. You might just dip a little finger in it and watch how your finger is transfigured. You might go hog wild and pull some out and sprinkle it over your hair. It'll get all over the floor. And that's part of the point. We'll be picking it out of the carpet all the way through the 40 days of Lent. The next time you come to church is Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. And when you come, someone will dip their finger in ash this time. And mark it on your forehead and tell you you are mortal. And that is true. But it is also true that you shine like the sun. Amen. <laughs> 